good writing is really essential uh, if you want to build your reputation as a thought leader. You know, I've worked with so many thought leaders over the years, and the ones who have broken through the noise and the clutter out there, and there's a lot of noise and clutter out there, have almost invariably been good writers. My discussion is with Glenn Leibowitz, who for the last 25 years has been working at McKinsey & Company's Greater China Consulting Group as head of communications. Glenn has helped numerous McKinsey partners get recognized for their expertise in the form of McKinsey quarterly articles, op-eds in leading business publications, books, and research reports. He's also helped several McKinsey partners gain big followings on LinkedIn. In our interview, you're gonna learn four things why you should encourage your organization's thought leaders and those who aspire to be thought leaders to become better writers themselves, rather than just relying on people like us to write it for them. Second, why thought leaders need to fully trust people like us to help them convey their ideas and how to build that trust. Third, why LinkedIn has become such an important platform for thought leaders and what they need to do to attract the audience that they want and lastly, how Glenn sees generative artificial intelligence technologies such as ChatGPT changing the playing field for thought leaders and thought leadership professionals. Hello, Glenn. It is great to have you on our show, having been on your show about, um, I think it was aired about a month ago. Uh, I think that's right. Right? That's right, Bob. That's right, Bob. No, thanks so much for inviting me on your show. It's a real uh, privilege and honor to uh, to speak with you about a topic that is near and dear to me, and uh, I know is to you. And it's really, uh, I know, you know, you're a legend in the industry, so it's just, it's really quite an honor to be uh, to be here with you today. Well, thank you, and uh, I've been following you for for such a long time. I love what you write about writing, and I want to get into um, a bunch of issues about thought leadership, but particularly you know, writing and the importance of writing and how people can write better and what happens when you write better, what's the impact of all that. So why don't we begin with um, kind of the, the beginning of this, uh, which in my mind is, you know, why can uh, good writing help somebody who aspires to be a thought leader or or is a recognized thought leader? Why does is good writing so elemental, so important? to people who want to be famous for their expertise. Right. Well, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, like like you have, Bob. Um, for me, it's been over 23 years. And, you know, what I would say is that good writing is really essential uh, if you want to build your reputation as a thought leader. Now, you know, why do I say that? Um, you know, your writing is a reflection of your thinking. And so if you're building your reputation and your business on the back of the strength of your thinking, of your ideas, and if your writing is the most obvious reflection of that, then it seems pretty clear to me that you need to invest in making sure your writing is good. Um, you know, I've worked with so many thought leaders over the years, and the ones who have broken through the noise and the clutter out there, and there's a lot of noise and clutter out there, have almost invariably been good writers. And they've been good writers even before working with editors like myself or like you, for example. Um, and the best ones, frankly, are the ones who sit down and write the first draft themselves. Uh, that's where their true voice comes from. Yes, they could rely on ghostwriters or idea developers, which is a term that I think you prefer to use. And I like that too, by the way, idea developers. They certainly have the resources to do so, as you know. Uh, resources is generally not a limitation for them, which is a good thing, right? 
but they realize that they, they, they have far more impact when they actually sit down and write. And you know, now some of them dictate and have their thoughts transcribed and then edited, and that works perfectly well. And I work with thought leaders who, who use that approach, and I help them do that. That's fine. But the best thought leaders have something about the way they communicate verbally that translates into the way they communicate in writing. It's different, obviously, but the two are definitely linked, and you can you can sense that when you read something. So if as a thought leader, you really don't have this time to sit down and write, that's fine. There are capable writers and editors, idea developers out there who can help you, and you should definitely leverage their expertise. But whatever you do, my suggestion is just don't hand over 100% of your writing to someone else. Even if it's a matter of going in and editing or commenting on the draft that was written by, by someone else, you'll want to make sure that you inject the experience and insights that only you possess. And you want to put some of your personality into your writing as well. So Glenn, if a, if a, let's say an aspiring thought leader, someone who is really motivated to, you know, to get his or her ideas out there in the world through writing and public speaking and et cetera, being interviewed by the press, came to you and said, um, Glenn, you know, here's my topic. My expertise is this, this, and that. Um, how do you advise us to proceed um, with the choices, of course, being, Glenn, I can just talk to you and you could ghostwrite for me or I, the aspiring thought leader, I can take a first draft, you know, a, a stab at a first draft, and then you can help me raise it to a higher level. What do you, what do you advise um, an aspiring thought leader to do in, in, in the process of codifying their ideas? Would you rather they write the first draft or would you rather them talk to you and you write the first draft and they respond to it? Right. Now, I've, I've of course, worked with thought leaders who have, have different preferences uh, and different capabilities, and I've, I've, it's run the whole gamut. So my what I do is I just ask them what they feel most comfortable with because I want to do, I want to, what I, I know, I'm confident that they have ideas that are trapped in their heads that need to get out. And I'm just on a mission, on a hunt to try to get that out of their heads and on paper. And so if it's, a I've worked with thought leaders who have, you know, I'll schedule a call with them and it can be 15 minutes and I can get a whole, let's say LinkedIn blog post out of them in 15 minutes where they talk, they dictate and I'll transcribe or have a transcribe and then edit it. That works well for some people. That same thought leader that I'm referring to, actually, he also has you know, been on a, on a flight, jotted down a couple of ideas, and sent me that draft that I edited, and that worked very, very well um, for him. Uh, I've you know, worked with those. So it, my, I do recommend thought leaders try to sit down and jot down at least an outline. We call it a you know, dot dash outline, whatever you want to call it. Just get the ideas down on paper. does not have to be completely formed or finished or polished, but just get something down on paper. That works for, for, for a lot of thought leaders. And I, I just work with someone this week. He gave me his outline and uh, I did some additional research, some reading, some thinking, some writing, throwing things away, coming back to it. So that's, that's something that I'm, I'm in the process of working with him on, on that piece, but he jotted down the ideas. Then he said, look, let's make this an iterative process, which is exactly what it should be. He threw me the, you know, his ideas. I threw him 
a rough first draft today, for example, and I'm waiting to hear back from him tomorrow. He's going to bring some other other people in to to take a look at it. Then there are those who actually give me a comp- completely well formed, well written draft that only needs copy editing, and I love that. <laughs> uh, obviously, for obvious reasons, and I've I've worked with uh, thought leaders who've done that over the years, and you know, it just literally takes me you know 10, 15 minutes to go in and do a copy edit, um, and you know, that person in particular happens to be very prolific. He happens to be a very prominent thought leader with uh, millions of followers on LinkedIn and uh, has written hundreds upon hundreds of articles. So he's he's sort of the outlier. He's sort of the dream um, client or dream colleague. Uh, but, you know, I work with, like I said, the thought leaders across the entire gamut. And that's perfectly fine for me, just as long as I get their brilliant ideas out of their heads and onto paper or on the screen. Uh, great. Glenn, could you, um, you know, in your career, roughly estimate, is it possible to roughly estimate how, what percent of the people who who work with you are like the the, the person who's got many followers and, and writes very well and has written numerous articles? What percent of the people who come to you fit that category versus the people who you know, at the other end of the spectrum, can't write very well. And of course, you're there to help them. But but the writing is, in some cases, terrible. You know, what, how how would you segment, the, I guess, the, the, you know, the people who come to you and, and, and what are the percentages, rough percentages of people in each segment? Right. Well, that's a good question. Maybe I should, you know, go back and, and map it out a bit, but I can envision sort of a, you know, two-dimensional, you know, a four-box, you know, matrix framework or of some sort. But what I would say is you you did mention, you you made the point that maybe some of the thought leaders that I work with may not be very good writers or bad writers. Actually, there's there's a, a very large segment of people that I work with who are excellent writers, but don't have the time to write mm-hmm. for very good reason, because they're you know doing the work, they're serving the clients, they're they're doing the work that they're good at. And they actually happen to be outstanding writers. And I know that. <laughs> But they just don't have time. So that's actually an interesting uh, you know, segment that I work with. So there, I don't have the the hard numbers, but I would say is overwhelmingly 80% of the people that I thought leaders that I work with either don't have the time or the capability. And so it's a very small percentage that actually have the time and capability to sit down and hammer out a draft or a really well uh you know, fully formed outline independently. I say independently because as you know, a lot of the work that we do, that I that I do, uh, I work very often I work one-on-one with one thought leader. And that actually I, I love working that way. I think that's very effective and it yields a very good product. Um, in many cases, however, I work with teams of of people. So there may be one or two thought leaders who are driving the thinking driving the writing, but actually they have, you know, teams of analysts and, and associates and others who are helping with the process of, of outlining, doing the research and, and writing the, the draft. And I'm, I'm accustomed to working, you know, in that mode as well. So long story short, I think, you know, just in some, I would say 80% or so don't sit down and, and you, know, you have one person hammer out that draft, but either work with a team or require significant assistance from somebody else, either 
myself or uh, somebody internally or somebody even externally. We work with uh, external editors uh, and idea developers, as you like to call them. Um, but yeah, I'll have to sit down and do the exercise to actually map out you know, the, the percentages. Do you see any unique challenges in working working with an individual versus working with multiple people on an article or 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 a white paper or maybe even a book? That's a that's a fantastic question, and um, I should try to you know write about about this at some point. But I'll try to you know give you some some ideas, some impressions based on my experience, and I'm sure you have your own experience uh, working with either individuals or groups of, uh, of people. I do. I, I do both. So um, I would say, to some extent, I really in, enjoy, and I think it's more efficient and productive to work one-on-one with a thought leader, especially if they happen to be a good writer. <laughs> that helps tremendously. Um, and also, what's more important than than the writing is is the distinctiveness, the the freshness, the innovativeness of their ideas. So that's actually really paramount. Paramount, if you think right, for a thought leader, they should have new ideas that they're trying, new insights uh, that they're trying to share. So that actually is number one. Writing is, is very important as, as I, I just made that the argument for good writing. Working one-on-one is really good. But the reality is uh, a lot of thought leaders do work you know, in teams of people. And it could be one or two thought leaders who are driving the thinking, working with teams of analysts and others who are helping. It's just something you get used to. It can be frustrating at times, obviously. Uh, you know, you're trying to look for a decision or someone to sort of take charge, take the lead in thinking, you know, driving the thinking. That's what you're looking. That's what I'm looking for. And if I'm not seeing it from the team, from someone on the team, things are not going to move forward. And that does happen. And so, what you know, I try to, I say, look, this is not moving forward. This is, these ideas are not very distinct from what you'll see out, you know, out there. This has been published before. I've read five articles about this already. What are you saying, or what are we saying that is going to be, stand out? That's different. That's that you're going to be proud of of showing to your clients. Sit down. Let's try this again. If that this outline is not working, I'm just going to be very honest. So, I I have to balance being you know balance the sensitivities and uh, that that thought leaders have with the desire. I know they want to stand out. I know they want to break through the noise. I know they want to attract uh, the right attention from the right people, from their clients. And I believe the way to do that is through distinctive ideas and and good writing and distinctive ideas is sort of a that magical combination. And if we can get that, achieve that, then I'm only helping them. So, and they know that, um, yeah. but they're busy, they're serving clients, they've got, they're managing a lot of people. And uh, we're trying to fit this in between, you know, the spaces in between their their meetings and their work. But if it's valuable enough for them, if they value this, and most of them do, then uh, we'll do whatever it takes. And we'll go through as many iterations as it takes and as many discussions and, and drafts as it takes to arrive at a piece of writing, at a piece of thought leadership that they're going to feel proud of share, proud sharing with their clients. Yeah. Let's look at the question of, you know, how, how to teach thought leaders or aspiring thought leaders to, um, to write better. Th- those who want to learn, right? Because in my experience, uh, there, uh, there are a lot of, I've met a lot of people who, at the end of the day, you say, um, they're not listening. They don't really want to, they think they write well enough, even if they write poorly, they're not interested in, at least in, in, in having me help them. But for those who want to learn, you know, 
they do want to learn how to write better. Um, is it possible to take somebody who comes to you as a mediocre writer, or maybe even worse, and push that per and, you know you know work with that person to become a, a a pretty good writer? Maybe maybe not a professional writer who's ready to write you know novels and have big publishers publish them, but um, but to move from say mediocre to pretty darn good is is that possible? Right. Well, I think it's not easy, but it, I think it would be, it is possible. So I think you're, the question you're asking is not, you know, can you take a piece of writing that is not great and make it great, make it better, but rather can you help someone, a thought leader, build this skill? It's obviously something that it's not a one-off thing. It's going to take a lot of practice and a lot of, uh, you know, repetition, just doing doing this over and over again. But I think I think it is possible. And I have had the privilege to work with some thought leaders over the course of many, many years. And um, sometimes it doesn't take that long, but I can see there is a progression in their in their skills. And there's definitely some things that uh, I can advise or you know some some advice that I can offer to you know help them uh, you know guide them along the way to to first of all, give them the confidence that it is possible to become a better writer, to improve their writing skills. And also just, they should also be aware of it and be aware, you know, what are the criteria for good good writing, for good thought leadership? You know, how do I think about it so that, you know, how, what are, what's the checklist that they should have in their mind at all times as they read through a piece of writing that will help them evaluate their their own writing to make it, you know, to, to make it better uh, in that next draft, that next, and, and I think the concept of, of you know, iterate, iteration, doing things, you know, taking it to the next level to, you know, taking a draft and improving upon it and revising it, um, kicking the tires, getting feedback, getting input um, is really critical. So the short answer is yes, it's possible to possible to improve your writing. No, it's obviously not easy. It's not going to be overnight. Yes, it takes a long time. It can take some time to develop that skill. And yes, I believe it's it's worthwhile, uh, especially if you're if you're in it for the long run, if you're going to be doing this for many years, many decades, I think it's worth investing some time and energy, uh, perhaps a little bit of money too, but it's really going to be time and energy uh, to develop this skill. And there are a lot of great resources out there, more than ever, a lot of great books, a lot of great blog posts, uh, a lot of free content on LinkedIn, um, and also podcasts that you can listen to, like like your podcasts, for example, and, and others that where you can you can learn the craft. And it's something that I have tried to develop myself. I try to, I'm always trying to refine and hone my own craft. I've been on a journey of learning how to become a better writer probably for almost two decades now. And it's, and uh, I'm, I'm not stopping yet. And I always feel I can, I can be better and I can always improve. That said, I don't, you know, I'm not paralyzed with fear and I, I need to move forward and get the, get the work done and at least get the first draft out the door and, you know, work on it and revise it and iterate it. And, and, and you know, writing is, is really rewriting. So if you think about it that way, uh, just get that first draft done and then, you know, work on it, edit it, and uh, you'll get to something better. Yeah, I feel the same way. You know, I look at, I like some of my writing and I look back at my old writing and I think, oh my God, this is terrible. How did I write this? And, you know, <laughs> and and I think I've improved over time, but then you, you read people like um, Malcolm Gladwell or Michael Lewis. And it's like, you say, I say, oh my God. I don't think I could ever write this well. You know, I need to get better. And so there's always 
somebody who writes, you know, for me, much better. And there's so much improvement uh, to be had. Um, what kind of writing skills do you think, uh, without going through all the skills that somebody who wants to learn how to write better needs to to gain, skills they have to gain, but what kind of skills do you think are easier to teach and for somebody to learn, and what writing skills are harder to teach and to learn? Just just a few, maybe, of each type. Easier to learn writing skills and harder, harder to learn. Right. I think uh, think of a try to develop a, a checklist or if you can find a checklist uh, and use that as your checklist when you're writing something anywhere from, it could be a, a short LinkedIn post or a long or an article, uh, thought leadership essay or a major publication or eventually a book. But I would say if you have that checklist, that those are things that you can apply immediately and and repeatedly to your writing. So there are a number of checklists out there. Uh, I've written a couple, but there are a couple of points that I could I could suggest thought leaders use as they think about their own writing, as they evaluate their own writing. And one of them is, there are a couple of them. One would be clarity. So clarity is paramount. Another one would be asking the question, what's new about your, your, your idea? What's distinctive about it? Another one would be, can you tell some sort of story? Uh, to bring your thinking to life, your ideas to life, and make them relatable. And then you could also ask yourself, you know, is this something that I'm proud to share with my audience? Now, there are another, you know, 15, 20, 30 pieces of advice or criteria that I could suggest uh, as you go through your writing. And I'm, I'm happy to share them, you know, if you have extra time, but just clarity, you know, is about, you know, are your ideas clear to yourself? If they are, then you'll be able to communicate them clearly to others through your writing, right? So if you do the work up front in developing a detailed outline, which I know you're a, a very strong advocate of, for sitting down to write that draft, I think you, when I talked to you last time, you suggested you work the, when you work with clients, you spend maybe 80% of the time just developing it, an incredibly detailed outline. I, I love that advice uh, because what that does is that you're forcing yourself to get your ideas crisp and clear. Clarity also means removing or translating technical jargon uh, or industry jargon, which is something that we encounter all the time, which can make it difficult for the reader to understand your ideas, spelling out acronyms for the first time. And it also means supporting your arguments with evidence, facts, and examples. These are all things that I think you, know, you share in your, in your book, Competing on Thought Leadership, and something that you do with your clients. When you think about the people that you've worked with, who you've worked with um, over the years, and those, especially those who have become, who, who, when they started working with you, Glenn, were okay writers, and and then they got very good, you know, through your help, especially, but just just the practice of writing, and maybe they did a lot of reading about good writing. But if you look at those people, do you think that there was anything about? Um, their attitudes, how they approached working with you, that was different than than others that uh, people that you've worked with who just just didn't progress as 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 well as writers. Is there anything uh, about attitudes and beliefs about becoming a better writer that that may be a key to unlocking or learning these these writing skills? Yes, I think uh, a couple of things. One is I think they had to trust, learn to trust two people. They had to learn to trust me 
with their handling their ideas. So I had to learn as an editor or idea developer to win their trust such that I, they're, they're sharing a part of themselves. It's actually quite personal. They, people, thought leaders, you know, on the outside, they may look very, you know, impressive and successful, but they're actually very often quite sensitive, especially when it comes to sharing, exposing their ideas to the world. Um, but before they even get there, they have to expose their ideas to me or somebody else who, you know, I'm, I'm trained to be a critic. I'm trying, I'm there to, of course, to be a productive, you know, a constructive critic. I'm just trying to help them. Nonetheless, they have to learn to trust me. So I have to, I have to figure that out. They also have to learn to trust themselves and their own, their, in their own ideas and feel like they have something that's worth sharing, worth, you know, sharing with, with their audience. So uh, that's, that's another deeper struggle that I, you know, I can, I can help them with. But they're going to have to work through that and, and learn that. I sound like I'm a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist, but, and I don't pretend to be. But there's something about you know, learning to articulate your ideas on paper, you know, in writing, that is very uh, sort of gets to who a person is and how they express themselves to the world. And uh, it's a very uh, delicate topic to some extent. And so the ones who are willing to sort of expose themselves or, you know, to to the world, expose their ideas to the world. It takes some courage, but it takes a lot of practice. It takes you know some sort of falling down, making mistakes, but learning how to learn you know make those mistakes, accept them, and, and learn from them. All of that is 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 essential. So the ones who are willing to learn from their mistakes and and try again and try again and keep doing it, those are the ones. Those are the thought leaders who are going to get better at it. And I've seen that again. It doesn't take. It's not overnight. Uh, it's no, not an overnight progression, but I've been lucky to work with some thought leaders who I've been able to work with for years. And you can see over a period of time that they can get better. They do get better. And the way they know that is through feedback from the market. So, you know, when they see now the feedback is very quick, you know, on LinkedIn and elsewhere uh, on WeChat, wherever we're publishing an article or a video, they are... We can see, we can count how many people are are viewing. We can even see, literally see who who's reading and commenting and sharing their content. Uh, the feedback is quite immediate and very tra mostly transparent. Who's opening emails? So uh, that feedback is very very important, very helpful. And 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 yeah. So I was going to ask you, how important is that feedback from the standpoint of not just you, but more more important in my mind is the person who who's you know, whose ideas are in the article and whose name is on the top uh, or the post or whatever. How important is it for them to get positive feedback that, oh, you know, people are actually uh, listening or reading their ideas? Absolutely. It's very important. I think that that positive feedback, that positive re provides positive reinforcement is really important to them. So, you know, when they and the feedback comes in many different forms. It's not just in views or in likes or in shares, although that's something you can you can see quite visibly. It's ultimately what what they like to see is is you know emails or calls from potential clients uh, that lead to discussions, conversations in person. Uh, that's sort of the and then of course the ultimate feedback is when it turns into uh, a paying client, and that's what they're they're looking for. But all of that put together is absolutely essential. And if they're not hearing that feedback, they're not seeing that kind of feedback, then 
yes, it can be discouraging. I'm sure. Uh, maybe they think that you know it's not worth you know, investing in developing, you know, writing, publishing, and some people get discouraged quite easily from the lack of feedback. Uh, my suggestion is simply, you know, try it. If it doesn't work, try, you know, learn from your mistake, tr mistakes, try to do it differently, uh, but try it again and don't give up. And it could take some time to, to generate an audience, to, to build an audience, to build a following, to build a reputation. Uh, these things are, as you know, very well, you not, are not overnight. Although there are some, you know, in some cases, some things go viral and you do have an overnight, you know, some books are, be, you know, New York Times bestsellers right out of the gate. But in general, it does take some time to build a reputation. So think about going in for a new thought leader in particular, know that this is going to take time, know that you're going to have to uh, try it and try it again, maybe dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times before, you know, you really establish yourself uh, to the level of, of awareness and credibility that you're, you're seeking. But it is doable if you're willing to uh, put in the time and and uh, try and try again. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of seeking feedback, 20 years ago, uh, I think LinkedIn was launched in 2003, if I'm remembering correctly. But these, these, these um, you know, mechanisms for instant feedback, that is social media, did not exist, uh, at least not in the form they are today. You know, feedback on one's writing, well, you know, did we sell this work or not? No, we didn't. We didn't get the deal. Or send an article to HBR, Harvard Business Review, or MIT Slow Management Review. Did they accept it? No. All right. More negative feedback. We published it in our latest McKinsey Quarterly. You know, the the, the print the print edition. Um, I forget when the uh, the online edition came. Um, did anybody call us? No. You know, like it was harder, right? It was harder to get feedback. But it's so much easier today, posting articles, posting posts on LinkedIn, where we can all get immediate feedback. So do you advise um, the people who you work with to, to post things on LinkedIn, to post articles on LinkedIn, or to post, you know, posts, just, you know, not articles, I guess, posts on LinkedIn, to get that kind of feedback from some ideas that they've either written without your help or or with your help. Do you do you tell them get some feedback, post this thing? Yeah, no, abs absolutely. Uh, I I I've been in this business long enough, like you have to to remember the times when we were waiting for the yes or the no from the op-ed page editor of you know, whatever top tier publication. Uh, we were at their mercy, but now we're not. So uh, thought leaders are not. So absolutely, uh, for something like LinkedIn, we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, I started really started getting active uh, myself on LinkedIn in 2014, and the advice that was given to me was just try to post, you know, write an article once a week, which already was way more than I was doing at the time, which was zero. Back in the fall of 2012, LinkedIn launched what it called its Influencer Program. It invited more than 300 people from numerous industries and others to write articles on LinkedIn. These people included Bill Gates, Virgin founder Richard Branson, ex-General Electric CEO Jack Welch, and Barack Obama. Glenn was invited as well, and he started posting articles in the spring of 2014. Then between 2015 and 2018, LinkedIn named him a top voice in two categories. The first of Glenn's many LinkedIn articles was called The Five Attributes of a Successful Thought Leadership Professional. 
And in fact, in that article, which I hadn't read, Glenn linked to an interview that I had done at Bloom Group, my previous company, with Sarah Noble. Uh, but I think today you should try to do something at least weekly, maybe twice a week. Uh, it could be a short piece, a short comment, but but just share your ideas and do and and be consistent about it. And uh, and then you can see it's going to take some time for it to to gain some traction. Uh, you may not you may hear crickets initially. Get used to that. Uh, but there are ways to. I'm not saying game the system or game the algorithm because I don't I don't believe that's really what it's about. I believe it's about having distinctive ideas. And uh, if if you're good as as a thought leader, if you are a thought leader, you have distinctive ideas and insights, and you start sharing them for free. You know, uh, put them out there. And also interact be, uh, with others, with other ideas. So don't, it's not a one-way, LinkedIn, for example, is not, is not a one-way platform. It's, it's, a, it's so-called social media. So you have to be social. You really should recognize other people's ideas, uh, not just click like on them, but maybe leave an, you know, a brief comment recognizing them or you know, commenting on their, their idea. So interact with other ideas and recognize others out there so that you know they people can can see that and you'll you'll gain visibility in that in that way but definitely put your ideas out there wait for the crickets to come and then at some point i think the crickets will turn into um something uh i think worthwhile and and you don't have to have a huge following either by the way just have the right following just have to attract the right followers and interact with them, share your content free, you know, freely, really a lot of this is sharing your content freely and, uh, and then do it consistently. Don't try it for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and, and go cold Turkey. You really need to be out there for a while, plan to be out there for at least a year or two before you, you know, you ultimately give up and never give up. I've never given up since I started in 2014. And, and the people that I work with, the thought leaders I work with, some of them have been on LinkedIn consistently for about that time. And some have done it incredibly well. And some just even started to become active a few months ago or a year ago, and they've, they've seen tremendous success on the strength of their ideas, distinctive ideas shared in very short, pithy uh, posts. Doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be a 3000 word essay for uh, a major publication, does not even have to be a book. Graphics work well, one exhibit works well something graphic, but it doesn't always have to, you don't always have to have something, a graphic to go with, with your content, just distinctive ideas can, can go a long way. You can get quite a bit of traction that way. So would you send, uh, say the worst mistake uh, in doing this, uh, you know, posting distinctive ideas regularly on LinkedIn, the worst mistake is to give up way too early. That's definitely one of the worst mistakes. The other, another mistake is to not interact with others on the platform, just to think of it as a one-way platform it's not it's not not a megaphone it's it's a social media platform so to be interactive uh, if somebody by the way if somebody likes your or comments on your article or your post uh, you should definitely recognize that in some way just click like or maybe say thank you uh, and it's very possible that they'll come back for more and they'll follow you so that is definitely a, a no-no by just sort of publishing and just going silent and not interacting with the people who want to interact with your ideas and with your content. Yeah. So you're saying engage with them. They're, they're, if they Absolutely. Like it, they're showing, you know, they're not doing it gratuitously. Um, engage with them. Or That's right. Good. Yeah. 
Okay, last topic. Uh, Jenner sure. AI. Now we're in ChatGPT version four, I guess, where I, which I've been reading is even better than version three. And and I've been testing it on my own, and I'm I'm both. Well, I'm not both. I'm 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 fascinated. I'm intrigued. I'm worried, and and I see it's not perfect. You know, I, I see on, on topics I know, like who is Bob Boudet? <laughs> you know, what has he done in thought leadership? I've I've I, I I see things that are like I don't know this person. I never got into business with this person. Um, so I so I've seen for uh, version three be be very wrong. Still, the pros that I have seen come out of it from things I've written in and others have posted, the pros is remarkably good, even if the facts are not all always right. The, the, the pros is impressive. But I, I want to hear your thoughts on this and where you think this is leading us, and especially its impact on writing for thought leaders? Right. This is uh, a great question. It's something that I've been grappling with. I've been thinking through and uh, experimenting with it with ChatGPT over the past couple of months since it came out. And I agree with you. I think, first of all, I would just have to give kudos, congratulations to the team that created this because it is an impressive application. It's very impressive what it, what it, what it does. And I have not tried ChatGPT4, which is the latest iteration, which is uh, more powerful. I knew it was coming, but indeed, those who have, have been using it say that it is more powerful than, than the previous version, which I'm, I'm using. It's, it's a big question. I think initially I was, I was concerned, <laughs> but I, the more I look at it and the more I, I use it, the more I realize it's just going to be a very powerful and useful tool. For, for us, for writers and for thought leaders. So I think it, it's here to stay. It's not going away. It is powerful and only getting more powerful. And so I think that the challenge is how do we actually harness that power, harness the technology to make it really useful for us. Uh, my first forays, my first experiments with it were not yielding writing that I could use immediately, but I could see the potential for using it as you know, a helpful intern or assistant, automated intern or automated assistant to try to get maybe breakthrough uh, writer's block, which which still, you know, afflicts all of us, including myself, by the way, a way to trigger, to stimulate ideas, to pull out some content that, you know, out of the, the internet that I, I would never have, have thought of. So I see it as a helpful assistant and that that could learn to become more and more useful. And so, yeah, I think I was initially skeptical about about it, given you know the the results it was it was it was giving me, and still it's it's you know the, the version that I've been using has not been it's not ChatGPT four, but um, I used it for an experiment to to write a podcast script for my wife in Chinese about the cello, aimed at ten year olds in Chinese, but using an English prompt, and and it did it, and it created a very nice pro, you know a very uh, useful product. Um, I'm not going to use it. My wife may or may not use it. I don't know if she'll actually use it. She'll probably throw it away and riff and, and do her own thing. Can it write a speech that I present to my firm, to my office, that draws on my decades of experience and unique experiences you know, at my firm? No. 
So I think there are certain things that it, it cannot do yet. And I, I'm, I'm glad it can't, because if, if it can, then, then I'm, I'm going to be replaceable. But right now, ChatGPT cannot write that speech that I gave to my office a couple of months ago, where I you know, drew on some of the experiences that I've had here. I've been at this firm for over two decades. It's never been documented before. I've never written about it. I'm not supposed to write about it. Actually, you know, some of these, what I talked about shared was is still confidential and really meant for um, my colleagues only. Uh, but at some point, if, if ChatGPT or some other application, generative AI application can do that, can write that speech for me, then, then I'm going to have to do something else. Yeah, I, I think I agree with what you say. And, and what I would also say is I think it's going to, and we really haven't gotten into this yet. I think it's going to, 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 um, I don't know if it's level the playing field or raising the playing field for thought leaders in that if, uh, if a constraint for thought leaders was, um, their inability to express something clearly, well, that, that, that's been taken away, right? So it's kind of, you know, there are a lot of people are going to post a lot of things. It's going to be, they're going to be well-written unless they, they uh, check on the accuracy of everything that's, that they're feeding into chat GPT. Some of their stuff's going to be wrong, but hopefully they're checking the accuracy and correcting mistakes that chat GPT is, is introducing to uh, into pros. But there are a lot of people who will sound very smart because chat GPT is writing, is writing, doing their writing largely. Um, and I think that's then going to force the ideas that, like you put it, distinct ideas, that's going to raise the bar for truly distinctive ideas. As, as I understand generative AI and these large language models of, of AI, they're combing the web, looking for what's already been written and using that and, and understanding how they use what, I guess is you know, not really well understood. But using that to present uh, uh, something clear about whatever question you typed into in, into these things, and so the way I look at it is, if it's simply capturing some of the best thinking, some of it inaccurate, and and giving you a narrative about a question you asked, then uh, Chat GPT is not, as I understand it, or generative AI is not at the level of we're going to create whole new insight that nobody. No human has ever come up with. We're, we're gonna we're gonna gather the best insights or a bunch of good insights and put it to you in narrative form. Okay. Well, in my mind, that raises the the level of uh, insights that distinctive insights people have to bring to market. And then so you look and you say, okay, well, what leads to distinctive insights? Well, doing uh, primary research, really exploring best practices and comparing them against worst practices including one's client work, really thinking harder, harder about why did this, this set of companies do something much better than another set of companies uh, who were focused on the same problem. So that then gets to, to research. Uh, it's going to raise the stakes in doing much better uh, research and looking at best and worst practices and trying to divine the differences. And so ultimately, I, I see these generative AI tools as kind of forcing thought leaders to get much better at coming up with original insights based on studying what, whether they're their clients or other companies, what the best are doing differently than the worst on whatever the topic is. And, 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 and that would suggest to me that anybody who's just riffing on something from a couple of client experiences, 
is not likely to come up with any better insights than someone who's typing that question into chat GPT and, and using that as the basis of his or her article. And that, in fact, the chat GPT version uh, may be better written and, and, and may have more insights because it's coming, you know, more data points. And so I think if there's a moment when thought leaders really have to get on top of their game in coming up with original insights that are that are that have the evidence behind them, it's now that generative AI has has brought us to this moment where ordinary ideas, even well written, lots of people will be publishing them. Now that's right. I agree with what you just said, Bob. I think it is going to definitely push the bar much higher for thought leaders of all stripes. And the the really good ones, the ones with distinctive ideas, distinctive insights will, I think, be clearly at an advantage. And if they can invest in, in you know, writing, getting those insights out through good writing or through good, you know, uh, videos or you know, other, other formats, I think they will definitely, you know, create bigger distance between themselves and, and the, the rest of the pack of, say, average thought leaders. And those who rely on on the technology and and don't go take those extra steps or invest in developing those those distinctive insights and turning them into ex, you know strong writing, uh, strong you know products, whether it be articles or books, uh, they will be you know they'll just be part of the uh, just everybody else and they may fall behind. Anyway, I think what what you said makes a lot of sense. It's here to stay. Let's make you, let's learn how to make use of it, but let's also realize that we're going to have to continue to. You know, invest in developing uh, and and writing about publishing distinctive insights. Yeah, well, Glenn, this has been great. It has been a real pleasure to talk to you about uh, writing, about writing for thought leaders, and we're going to have to do this again. You know, in six months or whatever, after we learn more about generative AI and and how it's changing our field here, and and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see over the next couple of years some big changes and how thought leadership content is produced and written and marketed and delivered uh, because of this technology alone. Absolutely. No, it's interesting times. But thank you, Bob, for inviting me on your program. And uh, congratulations on the publication of your your book. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking again soon sometime. Thank you, Glenn. It's been a real pleasure. Everything Thought Leadership is a video and podcast series from Boudet TLP. It's for thought leaders and thought leadership professionals, the people who help experts get recognized as thought leaders. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you left a like and if you shared the episode with your colleagues. You can find out more about Boudet Thought Leadership Partners at BoudetTLP.com.